Thank you, Leslie and Paul. And uh, good to see the rest of you here as well. Let's go to uh, the book of Mark once again, Mark chapter 14, as we come to a conclusion in this chapter and uh, move further along in our walk with Jesus on His last days on earth, really literally coming down to just within 24 hours, He would be hanging on a cross, actually dying on a cross at this point because we're from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. This passage, let's begin now in Mark chapter 14, looking at Peter's denial of his Lord. Verse 66, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou wast, I'm sorry, and thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand what you sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again, and they began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word, and as we go to prayer, let's just bow our hearts. Father God, we come before You thanking You for the Word of God, thanking You that we can see You more clearly because of it. Today I would ask, Father, we yearn to know You better than we've ever known You. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and using the Word of God, going to the very depths of our being, Father, we know that that's possible because you are moving us along a journey. You are not content to have us where we are, but taking us further to be more like Jesus Christ every moment of every day of the rest of our lives for those that have trusted Christ as Savior. You are growing our faith. And Father, as we look at what seems to be a massive fall for Peter, may we take it to heart. May we see the symptoms and the solutions of this one, the great apostle that literally was used again by the Lord Jesus Christ to bring 3,000, the first sermon he spoke, into the church. Father, you are amazing in the grace that you've provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we are here because of you. We're here because we want to be here with you. And Father, take us where you want us to be now spiritually. Well, thank you. Praise your name. In His name, Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, we continue moving along <clears throat> at a slow rate of pace, probably, but uh, nonetheless moving. How many of you found this study good? <laughs> I didn't even know what word. Okay, very good. Um, I'm going to ask Laramie again once again that the diagram of the city of Jerusalem, it has the temple, and we're going to Look at the spot in which we're finding the high priest. Um, let me see. Paul hides this in, me, in here. For, oh, he, I lost it last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he knows where it's at, though. At any rate, uh, you know that uh, in weeks previous, after the 
well, they were actually, let's see, there's this upper room, which is traditional. Whether it is that or not, I don't know for sure. But that's thought to be where Jesus and the disciples would have gathered for the Last Supper. The last time they were together as a group, they enjoyed that meal together. There was a a great deal of teaching as well, and in John, I, I keep saying that, but from that evening, which really started there, all the way into their trekking out into the Garden of Gethsemane, there was four chapters of John, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and actually 17, the high priestly prayer, that were in those hours of the last days of his life that took place. Um, in Gethsemane, that's the garden of which Jesus was betrayed. Um, it, now, what I wanted to point you to was um, right here the high priest's house. Notice how close it is, potentially, to the upper room. Um, I'm still, I think it's just so obvious, the reason that Jesus was so secretive, if you want to use that word, in not declaring where they were going to have that, the last meal together, because it was interesting. To rehearse just momentarily again, they literally went, they, uh, Peter and John were told to go prepare the Passover meal, the last one. Okay, uh, Judas had really sold out. He hadn't delivered the goods, but he had sold out. He had met with the chief priests and the elders, and he said, I'm going to give you Jesus. Jesus makes me so mad because he doesn't really take advantage of the power and money that we could have if he'd really pay attention. And I'm going to sell him out. I'm done with him. And they were excited. They were starting to already come up with a price. And Jesus knew, though, that his time wasn't finished. He had stuff to do. Can you imagine not having John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 in your Bible because Judas had betrayed him a few hours early? I want that in my Bible. I want John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes out of the Father except by me. I can say that with confidence at a funeral for someone to say there is only one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ, period. Not my words. What would have happened if Judas would have betrayed him early? You see, now those are things we don't have to worry about. But honestly, that's why I'm sure that he didn't tell him what street and address to go because I'm almost certain that Mr. Judas would have taken a trip to the high priest's house. <laughs> it's literally across the street, guys. Let's take advantage of this opportunity because it'll be evening already. Well, that's not how it worked out. But he also knew that Jesus would be in Gethsemane. And probably upwards of 1,000 people would have been gathered from the Roman troops. It's, the commander was designated as being a leader of up to 1,000 men, that captain. It's actually in our text today, uh, or certainly is in John chapter 18. And then in addition, the temple police, you would have had some of those religious leaders that would have been tagging, well, not, not the head honchos, because they were back at the high priest's house waiting for the group to come back across and to come. First of all, remember last week, we talked about the initial meeting, that initial guy. His name was Annas, A-N-N-A-S. It's gone. Okay. He was, he was known as the high priest. It would be just like a president of the United States. Um, anyone that's living, uh, President Carter for a moment. He, we still, he's still addressed as President Carter. Uh, president, uh, president Annas. Uh, it would be high priest Annas. Now, he is a, such a godfather, if you will, in a, in, their, in, a, in a bad way, shall we say. He was one that really directed and drove all traffic in the religious circles. All of those things that took place in the temple, which was described as him as being the bazaars, uh, the marketplace of Annas. He was in charge. He was the one, uh, literally, I, I spoke of a man's name, which I still, Jesus Christ died for him as well. George Soros, if you studied that man, he is on the wrong side of everything that's, that's right. Every single thing. He's on the, he would sell his mother out, I'm convinced. And he did. He sold out his Jewish brothers and sisters. 
and he was asked, how difficult was that? He, he replied, not very hard at all. That's the wretchedness of a human soul. However, at the same time, or the human heart, I should say, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is desperately wicked who can know it. Every single heart in this room, myself included, is just as desperately wicked and depraved as George Soros. And I pray for George Soros today. He's at the end of his life. I'd actually read that he passed away. I don't think it's right. Nonetheless, my point is, as Jesus went to Calvary's tree, this Annas, this high priest Annas, was as evil a man as was probably living in that city. And he was interrogating Jesus Christ. That's where they started. I would like to take a, a moment now. Let's go, because we're going to be using the, the Gospel of John as well. It's, and we used it last week in a moment. So there's like two plots going on in John. And I, I'd like to use that. Last week we talked about not only betrayal of Jesus, but literally as Jesus had, how many trials? This is a test for you, just a quiz. How many trials did he actually endure total? We've only looked at, oh, I just about gave the answer away. But I, I'm not going to do that. Anybody remember? Yes, it is. It's a total of six. There were three Jewish and three Gentile. Now, those we'll look at next week, uh, Lord willing. We'll look at how Jesus was railroaded in every one of those six. But we find the first three, those, tri those trials of the Jewish nature, we looked at those last week. But if we go back to John, it's like there's two plots going on at the same time. We have the trial of Jesus, the one that is triumphant, majestic, and has failed. He never failed. In fact, he's going to the cross for the subplot number two is Peter, his sidekick, the one that had declared him as thou art the Christ, the son of the living God in Matthew chapter 16. That one we've just read in, in, Luke, in, I'm sorry, in Mark's account. He denied that Savior three times in two hours. Uh, the time frame that we're literally looking at would be 1 a.m., 1 a.m. Friday morning to 3 a.m. Friday morning. In two hours, Peter will have denied his Lord three times. And not just a little bit. <laughs> the first one caught him off guard. But the last two were premeditated, absolute, without question. I do not know him. And he used, now cursing and swearing, not in the sense of vulgarity. It would have been like calling curses down upon you. On a stack of Bibles, I do not know that man. Something like that. And done it numerous times. How could that be? In that period of time. And then on the other side is Jesus literally going to the cross for the sins that Peter has committed. And for you and for me. It's amazing. But let's read John's account now. It's uh, it, John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And I will be there in a moment. John 18. We'll begin reading at verse 12. 12. This is taking us right after the arrest, and it declares for us in verse 12, then the band and the captain, again, that word uh, for that Roman, there's, there's, a, there's a Greek word which I don't have written down here, but it means a leader of a thousand. And the officers of the Jews, that would be the police, the temple police, took Jesus and bound him. Now, why would you bind him? Yeah, you're, you're what? Well, if you go back, and I don't have the verse in mind right now, but... Uh, actually, it was Judas Iscariot that said, you need to bind him. You need to bind him. Uh, why do you think that is? Judas had seen what Jesus could do. <laughs> there wasn't even death that could bind somebody. He said, Lazarus, come forth. I'm, I'm, I have to believe Judas, to me, is still such a loser by not seeing the truth and what Jesus Christ really was. But I'm going to guarantee you something. He, even in the sense of betrayal, knew the power of Jesus because it was his suggestion to bind him. 
<laughs> and here it is. Before, before, as they said, where is Jesus? He says, remember that? I am. And the whole group just fell down from the power that was exhibited from that massive Jesus Christ, the Lord God of the heaven. He could have just spoke them dead, if you will. Well, they found the king of kings. They took him away. It says, verse 13, led him to Annas first. This is the first trial, if you will. Um, now, one of the things I did not talk about well, last week, which is, which is important for us to understand, there's not a lot of travel that's taking place. He would have come through Gethsemane, come into the city through, I'm not sure which gate, but would have ended up at the high priest's house. Now, the high priest for that year is going to be described in the next couple of verses. His name was Caiaphas. Okay? He was actually the son-in-law to Annas. Annas had actually had four, four sons at least. I'm not sure. I've read two accounts. Four or five of his own sons that had been in the high priest position after he was. Now, the Romans didn't want somebody to be embedded, if you will, within the high priesthood for a long period of time. They didn't want that much power afforded to one, so they would move it around. But Annas, make no doubt about it, he was absolutely the power behind the high priesthood. No question about it. So, what, we, what I didn't explain to you is that actually the high priest's house, the family of them, literally lived in the same complex. Now, in a couple of different passages you've seen where Peter was warming himself in the courtyard. Okay? So if you think about it, just think of this huge complex of which there's apartments or houses that are rectangular squares that are surrounding an inner open courtyard. And there would be a corridor from the outside. There's a gatekeeper that's mentioned in our passage that we read. And there was a lady, a gal, a maid, depending on the word she used, that was actually at that gate. Because as you would know, you don't just have flipped open the gate to let everybody come in and see how the high priests are doing today. This is a guarded, this is probably the first gated community that we know of. Okay, probably not, but it, you get the idea. But there was a gatekeeper. There was somebody that was watching for that. And they would have come in to initially Annas's house. Caiaphas, in the meantime, while he was meeting with Annas, his job was, reviewing last week, he was to indict. He was to bring a charge against Jesus because there wasn't one. Again, saying this out loud, the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas were gathering probably in another section of the very building complex. The courtyard was this, was this inner sanctum, if you will, of where everybody would gather and meet, and you would actually have houses or apartments depending on the family of which you were. All of that is in this, essentially the same complex. Now, the Sanhedrin had no business meeting there because that wasn't their place of meeting. But it was at night, which is already illegal. So here they are. They're trying to gather that up. But the first thing they need, because the Sanhedrin is not one to initiate charges, it is to investigate charges. Now, this is where Annas actually, we didn't spend a lot of time on this either, but going back to John, let's keep reading. Now, that helps, gives a little bit of background for you. He led him away to Annas first. That's verse 13, John chapter 8, 18. For he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Now how much is that without him knowing what he said? He said it because they didn't want to have the high priest family lose power, money, or control over the entire nation. Because if Jesus Christ had his way, his teaching, his theology, literally the Romans would have come in and wiped them out according to them. And guess what? It wasn't about salvation. It wasn't about the people. It was about money and power. Oh, that sounds like the United States. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Power corrupts and absolute power absolutely corrupts. It's true. It's been for every generation. Now, verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple that 
That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. He's outside of this complex. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Now, I can't say with absolute certainty of who this other disciple is. But it would seem to me that it would have to be one of the eleven. Now, Jesus again. Remember in, is it like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13? And God will make a way to escape the temptations that come before you. Now, I want, we want to be very clear as we open this up. Peter, and I think this is John. This apostle is John. And I'll explain why I believe that. Um, and I can't be dogmatic about it, but nonetheless. It would have to be, I think, a disciple that was at Gethsemane. Like, there's other disciples that we could name that we don't know, but it seems apparent to me that this disciple and Peter were together, even at this entrance, at this opening of the corridor of which you're going to go into the courtyard. Do you remember what Jesus said? In fact, let's go back to Mark. Hold your place. We'll be back. This was the escape that Jesus had really laid out for them. So let's go back to... I'm not going to find the right spot. Maybe I got to go to Luke. Um, really need to see this too. This is very important. Um, let me try that. Just hang out for a moment. Just relax your minds. I'll be right back with you. Uh, Luke 22. Where is that at? Come on. Hmm. Okay. Because it's. Okay, I don't know what it, where it's at. Oh, yeah, there it is. It's in John chapter 18. All I do is go back, right? Just go up the, go up the, go up the column, and there it is. Okay, verse 7, uh, 18. Oh, if you just go back where you were, disregard all I said in the last couple of moments. John 18, verse 7. He asked them again, whom seek you? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, again, the disciples are with him. The 11 disciples are with Jesus right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Judas Iscariot is there, but he's on the other side of the tree, if you will, betraying him. He answered, I have told you, verse 8, that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That was a cue, exit stage left, you 11 disciples. Where I'm going right now, you shouldn't go, and you can't go, and you won't go ultimately because it says in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, which was pr- prophesied four or five hundred years previous, that you won't. That was a good time to go ahead and listen to Jesus. Now, a lot of times after we've sinned, temptation has won, we say, that was the spot where we should have paid attention. This, my friends, was the spot that Peter, and we're not told much about John. Now you say, well, why would John be, that's coming back to our thought process. Now we just read it in John chapter 18 further down. It says that this other disciple, now that's the other thing that's key about John. John never describes himself in any of the epistle of his own that he wrote. Of the, he was the other disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved, the other disciple. He says it numerously. In this case, it's the disciple that knew the high priest. And you're saying, what would a fisherman have common occurrence or pathways with the high priest? Well, let's just go back to the family. John's mother was Salome. Salome was a relative of Mary. Mary was a relative of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's husband, the father of John the Baptist, was a priest, all living concurrently. I think that there was some sense of bouncing around in the sense of that family knowing the high priest. Now, Jesus would have, again, I would have to say it would be uncomfortable, right? Because 
The high priests also knew who was gathering around. Do you think they did their intel? You better believe they did. But somehow or another, John was left alone, maybe just because of that. You know how it, it's all about it, relationships, isn't it? Who you know. But Peter was not going to get into that corridor to go into the courtyard to watch Jesus from a distance. Unless John, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's John, but the other disciples said, well, go ahead, he says to the lady that's watching, go ahead and let him in. Go ahead and let him in. Peter shouldn't have been there. This is the key. How many times have we gotten in trouble? This is back to us. This is contemporary. How many times have we gotten into trouble because we're not where we're supposed to be? And then we wonder why at the end, oh, I shouldn't have been here. Right? And, and I, that's the verse. He says, hey, you, you want me? Let these guys go right now. And that was like, go, guys, go. Missed the cue. Well, here comes Peter. He went through the door. Now, it says in verse 17 of chapter 18 of John, that then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter. Now, this is, the, the, the response is intended to be negative. You're not one of his disciples, are you? And he said, no, I'm not. Now, that was unsuspecting. Uh, Peter, see, we kind of jump-started a little bit, but we've been through this before. This isn't where the story started. This isn't where it happened. This isn't where he got in trouble. It was right here. No, he got in trouble a long, it seems like a long time ago, several weeks ago we talked about, but literally they were in the upper room. And Jesus said, you know, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to desert me. And Peter, <laughs> I can just imagine, just, not me, Jesus. I mean, he is, what do we call that word? Overconfident. To a level of being super prideful, right? He actually argued with Jesus. Bad idea. Bad. If Jesus says something, I'm going to go with that. Let's go with that. No, not, not Peter. Now, what do you think is happening as he's going forward? Because he really got in Jesus' face. And Peter said, look, I'm sorry, Jesus said, look, Peter, it's going to be this simple. This would have been in the evening uh, prior to, obviously, 1 a.m. It would be probably, I'm, I'm going to say that 8, 9 o'clock-ish kind of thing, just the night before. And he says, Peter, in fact, you remember what he said? This is kind of like, it reminds me of my mother a little bit. Simon, Simon. When Jesus says your name twice, that's not good. <laughs> Pay attention. When my mother said, Larry Dwight Melhoff, <laughs> it was t the middle name is bad. Girls, would you agree? Yes, they know. There's something about a mother stating all three of your names together, together that you, my friend, had better pay attention. And Simon, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. We're going to come back to a passage to fill that verse out because literally at the end of it, it is so cool of all of this. Did Peter fall? Oh, he fell mightily. There's two apostles, Judas he failed. He failed. He had no faith. He had no love for his master. He had no love for Jesus Christ. Peter, you have to say this. He was prideful. He was arrogant. He was overconfident. But he loved Jesus. See, that's what happens to us. See, we're going to be flipping. There's about three plots going on here. There's Jesus going to the cross for us and for Peter. There's Peter getting it all wrong, making a complete mess of himself in two hours. And then there's us. Meanwhile, back here at home, 
in the year 2022, we make a mess of ourselves once in a while. We find ourselves being in the wrong places. We don't listen to God's word. We never understand the depravity of self or of sin. Somehow, we always think that it's not as strong as it is. That's pride. That's overconfidence. That's why God hates pride so badly. That's why He resists the proud, because if you don't see self in the flesh for what it is, it owns you. But one of them literally lost his life, and I mean eternal life. Did Peter fail that much worse? I mean, he's denying that he knows him. Judas at least said, I know who he is. In fact, I'm going to betray him for money. Peter just denies he knows him. It looks bad, doesn't it? This is the one that Jesus said, you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the spokesman. You're the one that's going to lead this camp. You guys are going to literally evangelize the world. And, and at this moment, what, do you, what, what, what would you say? What if Peter was watching this disciple that had betrayed him for three times? What would Peter say? He would be cast, you loser, you. You can't be trusted. That's what Satan does to us when we fail. Right? That's exactly what happens. And But you know what Jesus said to Peter? He said, I'm going to pray for you. In fact, I am praying for you. And I'm not going to tell you what that little verse says. I'd tell you the verse, but you look, so I'm not going to let you do that. So. But there's something that Jesus prayed that was essential to really proving the fact that, yes, Peter fell, but he never failed. Let's go back to the steps that we find him. He's in the courtyard. He's, oh, there's a verse we've got to go to because this epitomizes what gets us in trouble and it got Peter in trouble. Let's go to Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Psalm 1, 1. This just is, it's just exactly what happened literally in Peter's life. Psalm 1, 1. 1, 1. Blessed, are you all there? Psalm 1, 1. Now, I'm going to just kind of keep, and there's three words I'm going to point out to you. You keep those in mind. Let's read the verse. Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, in that case, you can see that blessed is that person that doesn't walk towards evil, that stands in the company of evil, or literally sits down and is comfortable in the sense of evil. Now, let's think about that in words of Peter. Let's go back. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Well, find in verse 15. I have this underlined in my Bible. You don't need to. But it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus. He's walking after someone that is going to take Jesus' life. This is not friendly fire. This is not a place that they need to be or should be. But he's following at a distance. Okay? No harm yet. Except, remember, I've got to say it again. Jesus said, please leave now. Get out of here. Then it says that in verse 16, Peter stood at the door without. He's standing there. Verse 17, we've already read. Verse 18. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Do you see what's happening? He's becoming more comfortable. 
<laughs> now it's dark, don't make, make no mistake about it. Peter is not announcing, he doesn't have a name tag. Hi, I'm Peter. I'd like to introduce myself as one of the disciples just to get to know you. It's kind of a knowing. No, of course not. It's dark and he's probably, he's wanting to get warm, but boy, it's, it's really nice here, you know. <laughs> Nobody's supposed to recognize him. But did you get that? He walked to, the, to this place that's not going to be good. He's standing and warming himself at the enemy's campfire. This isn't a group of people that are getting to know one another. Where are we at? We're in the high priest's house in the courtyard in the center, literally watching Jesus Christ going towards death as a crucifixion. Now, if you'll turn to Luke for a moment, we even find that other word. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And I'm going to have to find it. There it is. Let's, let's just take a look. This is actually, it's more concise. In verse 54 of Luke chapter 22, let's just watch it unfold. Then took they him, Jesus, and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. Are you seeing what's happening here? Peter is becoming desensitized through compromise. You mark your own life. The more comfortable you come in a situation of which you shouldn't be in, the easier it is to get it wrong. The denial is just literally something that's going to happen ultimately because of where he's at. It has to. He'd have been better off to run to Jesus, literally beside him, put his arms around him and say, I'm with him. That's exa it's exactly true, isn't it? Because the further he was from Jesus, the more trouble he was in. Hello, Larry Melhoff. Correct? Name your name. Put yourself in the mirror, right? It's true. It's true. Well, let's follow this journey. In fact, we, we need to take some notes. Uh, we would have to say that this all started because... Here we go. Because probably, literally... Peter boasted too much. He's probably there following because literally inside of him, because this is kind of how we are, he wanted to make sure that he had to follow through on what he had told Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to stand for you to the very end. I'm with you to the end, even the death. I think I'll just follow along for a little while. Not too close, but, you know, just a little bit. Oh, they got a fire going on over warm up for a little bit, just a little, you know, just a little bit. Just, it's, a, it's a cold night. You know, that's a pretty good spot. I think I'm going to sit down. He's in trouble, isn't he? Now, the one that caught him right away, this is the one that got him right out of the box, was that little gal that was watching the gate. He's coming in. Now, he, Peter would have been looking at the fact, what did he tell Jesus? I'll go to the death with you. He's not thinking about the first time that someone nonchalant, what, what did the servant, or what did this maiden have to do with his sense of, shall we say, this powerful entrance, this confrontation? Nothing. But nonetheless, it opened the door of denial. She said, you're not one of those guys that is Jesus' disciples, are you? You know, it's almost negative is the response. What sets him up. Have you ever had those questions? Yeah, no, no, not me. Right. That was the opening. That was the opening. He didn't even get to the trial, if you will. That was the opening. He had denied him already. Let's go back to John. John chapter 18. I don't even know where I have you spotted, but uh, let's go now. We'll follow through on verse 19. This is something I did not spend enough time with you last week. 
because the high priest, this, we're at Annas, we're at the first trial, verse 19, then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. That, my friends, is highly, highly illegal. Why? There is no way that there should have been a, 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 an indictment initiated. You come to a Jewish trial or a jury or a judge, not for them to initiate it there. They are to a, a, interpret it or to investigate. I have so much trouble remembering that word. To investigate the charges. There are no charges. Now, what he's asking Jesus to do now is to literally... Tell me about your disciples. How many of those do you have? Where are they at? Tell me about what you're teaching. What do you really say about God? What do you really say? That is under what we would call the Fifth Amendment. It is never enough information to literally indict yourself from your own testimony. That is illegal. And that's why, when you may or may not have seen this, let's watch what happens. He's asking Jesus, tell me about yourself. And basically incriminate yourself. Jesus says in verse 20, I spoke openly to the world. I ever or always spoke in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews were always resorting. And in secret have I said nothing. Why ask me? Ask those who heard me and what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. In other words, what he's saying, I want a legal trial. And not what happens next? The officer standing behind him beats him with the palm of his hand. When he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus said, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, and bring the charges. But if I haven't, why are you smiting me? Do you see the illegality through this whole thing? And that's when Annas just threw up his hands, and he says, Just go down to Sweet B and see my son-in-law, Caiaphas. He's going to get you in trouble. I, 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 I give up. That was his job. He was supposed to pass an indictment along to Caiaphas. Caiaphas now has to deal with the very thing that Annas didn't get accomplished. And how does he do that? We talked about that last week. They change corridors. If, I'm sorry, they change rooms. Peter's still warring himself at the fire. He's not went anywhere because we'll find that in the next verse. This is the subplot as it continues. Now Annas, verse 24, had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. They're changing places. Simon stood and warmed himself. You can still, he stood at the fire. They that... I'm sorry, they said, therefore, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Who was the first one? Wasn't there just one woman that asked him? You're, you're not one of the disciples, are you? I kind of, I think I recognize you. No, 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 no. Now, did you see the word plural? I haven't underlined my, again, you don't need to do that. They said. Now, he's around the fire, and it's not just one person. In fact, I'm almost convinced that this maiden is thinking about this. Have you ever thought about, I know that person, but I don't know from where. It happens to me a lot right now. I can't remember anybody's name, right? And she's wondering, you know, she, you've seen that guy, haven't you? And he looks familiar. You know, as a matter of fact, he does. And there's others where they're, they're gathering on the fire, right? It's a kumbaya session. You know, you are one of his disciples, aren't you? They. This is plural. How does he respond? Art not thou one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. Now, this is where it's going to get personal. Uh, before we read the next verse, remember how Peter was on the edge, no pun intended, with a sword. He is out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter has just, I'm sorry, Jesus has just says, I am, and he watched a thousand people there, plus or minus, and they just drop to the ground. And Peter says, he pulls out the sword he's got with him. I wonder, why would a fisherman have a sword? It's obvious he shouldn't have. He starts throwing around there and cuts this guy's ear off. 
Two miracles actually happened. There was one I didn't speak of. One of the thousand men just literally just crashed to the ground with weapons in their hands. And Jesus says, two words, I am. The second one was, Peter, Peter. Let's not do that. This isn't about this. In fact, if this was at all, I could call 12, to 12 legions of angels. Right? Now, we could take care of this business without you swinging a sword, of which you're not very good at. But so he reaches over, and he makes a new ear. Puts it on the guy's side of his head. His name was Malchus. Malchus, no doubt. Now, if his life wasn't changed, I don't know what to say. When's the last time you had your ear cut off and the guy just puts it back on and it's good to go? We're never told about Malchus, but i got to think. Somewhere he had to think, that is not a bad man. <laughs> right? Let's watch that. Now, let's keep it in mind. Verse 20, what is, where is it? 26. One of the servants of the high priest being his kinsman, a relative, whose ear Peter cut off. <laughs> he was probably standing next to Malchus and wondering, how come he missed me? He whacks Malchus's ear off. Peter heals it. I'm sorry, Jesus heals it. And this guy saw Peter swing the axe, so to speak. And he says, I know you. You are the guy. How is Peter going to handle this one? Do you see how it's gotten this worse and worse and worse and worse? He's got himself in the fire now, right? Literally. You talk about being hot. He no longer has to warm himself. This dude is burning up. And then he goes crazy. He loses his mind, literally. Peter, that is. Peter then denied again. And then John, it just simply says, and immediately it caught crew. But let's go back to Luke for a moment. Luke chapter 22 I think that's where it's going to be. Oh, this will be a good one. Yeah, let's, let's go here. Um, verse 58 is where we'll start. We, we actually read part of this. Verse 58, chapter 22 of Luke. After a little while, another one saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, that's this relative of Malchus's saying, of a truth, I know this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. Now, that was the other thing, is the more that Peter speaks, the more he would know that, y'all, y'all, he's from Galilee. And no, that isn't southern, it's northern, but you get the idea. His speech gave him away. And they say, I saw you, and you are a Galilean, and you are double Double trouble because it's you. Watch what he says. Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he spoke, the cock crew. This verse 61, I, I talk about it regularly because it must have been a look that I can't even describe. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now again, you're in the courtyard. We know that Jesus is moving from Annas' house, if you will, to Caiaphas's, And this would have taken place at approximately the same time that Jesus would have been escorted through the courtyard to go to the other house. And as Peter said that in front of the fire, and this guy is a relative of the one that he cut his ear off, and he starts to begin, there's another, it must be in, in is it in Mark? Did we read it somewhere? He, it was cursing in, okay, it is in Mark, we read it, okay? He is taking such a position that on a stack of Bibles, I did not, and there's Jesus looking at him. 
Now let's go to Revelation chapter 1, and I, I have a feeling this is what this felt like. Revelation chapter 1, this is a description of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 12, one twelve. I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Oh, I should go back. This is verse 11. This is the, what the voice said. This is Jesus. This is the Lamb of God. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in the book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and also unto Laodicea. Who did he say that to? The other disciple. John, right? Look at verse 12. I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now, I, I just happen to think that Peter had been warming himself by a fire. All of us got, got very warm, and when Jesus' eyes looked at him as flames of fire, whew, don't have words for that. And he went and wept out, went out and wept bitterly. But Peter didn't get just in trouble with boasting too much. I've got to find my. It's amazing I can lose stuff. What do I do with my good marker? Try this one. After you boast too much, there's something that you do too little. Because you're confident in yourself. Self is at a, I mean, it's an all-time high. And every child that's went to school, every person that went to college, everybody that lives in life, everybody that li learns and listens and to the society, there's something that's very important. You'll get lessons and lessons and lessons, and that is how to be, number one. How to promote self. How to lift your self-esteem, right? It's everywhere. There's companies that produce it in their employees. They tell them how to be important to themselves. In fact, the better you feel about yourself, the better the company is. That's not Jesus' words. The less you make of yourself, the better you'll make in the kingdom. The more you see you're weak, the more you need from me, God speaking. Isn't that true? Satan is in charge. But if you boast too much, I will guarantee you, you pray too little. He was praying too little. How do we know that to be true? Ah, back to the garden, right? Jesus not only finished at the, at, the, at the Last Supper, he was on his way out to the Gethsemane. He said, you know, guys, again, I'm going to say this again. You're all going to leave me tonight. You're all going to flee. Peter had heard it twice. And he says, Jesus does, he says, you know, while I go on further, I want you. And it was that Peter, remember? Peter, James, and John. He took the inner three. That's what I just call them. It's kind of like the cabinet, if you will. And he says, guys, I want you to go here, and I want you to pray. Watch and pray. And Jesus goes on, and we talked a lot about that. The suffering that he took that night was worse than the crucifixion because this was to be separated from God, to be the sin-bearer of mankind and to be separated from God in that essence. He comes back thinking about them, and they're asleep. Right? <laughs> Couldn't you guys stay awake for a little while? You know, you need to watch and pray. The temptation doesn't enter. That's words for us as well. When you feel in the height of the battle, you know the best thing you can do? Take time and pray. Take time and pray. When you think your whole world is messed up, it's time to pray. It's very true, isn't it? Very true. 
No longer does anything else really matter. You pray too little. You pray too little. See, if you boast too much, you never pray too much. They never go together. Have you noticed that? When you really think you're on top, when you've got it figured out, I will tell you right now, you do not pray as much as you boast. They are antagonistic. But it's interesting. When your self is at the right level, when your self-esteem is lowered, and when you actually see self for what it's worth, that it drags you down spiritually, then guess what? Your prayer level goes up. They are always an opposite, just like faith and fear. You see, Peter was trapped in between those for a moment. I'm, I'm convinced. He feared but not enough to stay away. It was between fear and love. He loved Jesus Christ. You, you cannot take that away from him. He loved it. But because of what he'd said, he found himself being... Guess what if he hadn't said anything? Just think about that for a moment. What if he hadn't blown his mouth off? What if he had, you know, Jesus, I hate to say that. I mean, it just sorrows me. And then when Jesus said this, and he said it's according to Scripture, that when they smite the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. But it's true. Respond and reflect on truth. If he would have not gotten boastful, guess what would have happened? None of the things that he fell into. That's always the key. Prayer just prayerlessness actually made it worse. It made it worse. And of course, along with that is the fact that he didn't listen to Jesus. He didn't listen to him. Jesus told him clearly. When you have a warning, when you have a red light, a red alert. Well, we need to pay attention. Uh, here's another thing that happens when we boast too much and we pray too little. We act too fast. Has that ever happened? Regularly. <laughs> now, Peter, he's got the sword out. That's where he acted really quickly. But it should have stopped even then when Jesus said, guys, go get out of here. Go, go get out of here. Get out of here. Didn't do that. Just keeps acting on revert. He was like, revert back to step one. I'm okay. I can do this. I can do this. You've never heard that before, have you? You can do this. I can do this. <laughs> Some of the worst advice imaginable. It's amazing how we get ourselves just caught up into timetables and you got to be there and go there. I traveled this week. I don't know how far to take down this story, but we're going to start a reality show. I don't know who we are, but it's going to be called Traveling with Larry. It will be hilarious for, for everyone but me, right? It was amazing. Just briefly, uh, and, and I was going to fly out on the 30th, come home on the 2nd. I'm going to Pasco, Washington. I'm going to see, uh, you, many of you prayed for Kristen Dykes and her husband who was killed tragically. I don't know, like three, four years ago now. And she's, she needed some advice. She needed, she's telling me, so I said, I'll come out. I'll go through the cattle. I'll help you, okay? But I'm thinking, you know, if I could go to 29th, and I'd be back the first, then an, an appointment that I had on the second to be at a bull sale for another guy that invited me and need to be there. You know, I'm, I'm just figuring this all out, right? So I get a flight on the 29th. I'm going to fly into Pasco, which is just 20, 30 miles from destination. Fantastic. Got it. So I tell Kristen. Oh, I told her the 30th because that's what it was first, so she was actually out of town on the 29th. But that's okay. It doesn't matter. Not important. Well, I'm en route late, I might add, to Bozeman to fly out on the 29th. I call Larissa, who I'm, I'm approaching Whitehall. I said, just, you know, get my tickets, you know, so I can just go straight. And I'm on my phone. I can just go straight to, uh, uh, what do they call that? Strip you down. No. 
Yes, T Mr. or Mrs. TSA, that's right. So, and so she says, well, they canceled your flight. What do you mean? They didn't, they didn't contact me. She said, Dad, it's canceled. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep going for a little while. See if you can give me another flight. Well, you know the answer. No. So now, Logan's girlfriend, who you've maybe met here, Ruth, she works for Delta. Now, sad to say, I wasn't flying Delta that night, but at any rate, she finds she can get me a flight the next morning, leaving at 6 a.m. Okay, but I'm going to fly into Spokane because it will allow me in an early morning flight. I'll just drive to Pasco, two and a half hours, and I'm sort of still on time. You with me? It's all making sense, right? I get, <laughs> I get up at 2 o'clock, leave at 3, get to Bozeman, and I saw the longest line in a Delta Airline check-in that I've seen in my life anywhere at any terminal for any reason. It was amazing. It was 300 yards long. Maybe not quite, but it sure seemed like it. And I'm looking, and I'm saying, I'm not even going to get a ticket by the time my flight's supposed to leave. So I call Larissa early in the morning. Not really nice, but she, <laughs> Larissa, she said, Dad, yeah, your flight's been delayed by a half hour. I said, in this case, that could be, no, it's not a good thing, because my layover in Salt Lake City is 30 minutes. I'll miss that flight. I can't even check in on the kiosk, because they know I'm going to miss my flight in Salt Lake City. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, what? <laughs> so I'm standing at the kiosk. Dear Ruth, who is manning one of those things at the front, sees me, and I must have looked terrorized. She comes back, Larry, Larry, oh, I if there's anyone I'm glad to see, it's you right now. She said, I don't think they're going to let you check in. I said, no, I know. But she says, I can. I can check you in. And I'll get you to Salt Lake, and maybe you'll make your next flight. There was a part of that I didn't really like. I don't really want to be in Salt Lake and drive home from Bozeman, right? But I'm going with her. And as it worked out, whew, the Delta crew really... You know, you could just, they were getting people on the plane, and they were moving, and the pilot was like, let's cruise, let's get, because there was a lot of people crowded to the max, not an extra seat. And we land, and I don't know about the rest of the people, but I got off mine, and I went right across the hallway, jumped in the Spokane jet, and whew, got it, made it. And I was like, oh, it's all downhill from here. Truly it was. I landed, spoke, and you know how the windows are closed in the morning because nobody wants to look out because people are sleeping? They flipped up the lids at Spokane, and it is a whiteout. In fact, it took us 45 minutes to get to the terminal. They were like, and their idea of snow removal is not mine. They have like a garden tractor with a cab and a snow shovel on the front. And they're cruising around. We're not going to get out of here. But no problem. We finally get there. So now all I got to do is pick up my rental car, which is prepaid. Simple. No. Because I took out my wallet. I gave them my driver's license, which is good. It is valid. It has my picture. It says my name. It's prepaid. Uh, uh, sir, we're going to need another credit card, which I did not have a credit card in my wallet that worked that was in the exact name as my driver's license. FYI, you don't get a car to rent if you don't have, no, they don't need it. I don't, actually, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in total, I don't, I don't get it. I was there for four hours. Now, what do you do for four hours in Spokane and you're two and a half hours from where you need to be? You don't know, but it, well, we finally got creative. I have a, a nephew that lives in Post Falls who has a girlfriend, which I had never met, that lives in Spokane, and she rented a car for me, drives around the corner, I get in and take off. <laughs> I shouldn't have even said that out loud, but <laughs> that's creative renting.
how are you doing so far? Now, see, when I was waiting on the fourth, I don't know where I was, two hours in, three hours in, I finally just said, God, I'm all yours. I do not know how this works out, but I'm here, and I'm in your time. And I was, I was relaxed. I really was. So it finally gets 20. I mean, it is a mess out there. Spokane's not used to a foot of snow. That's what snowed in. It was still snowing. There are wrecks everywhere. 20 miles an hour. We're going. Finally get there. Whew, boy, this has been great. Meet with Kristen. Get a look at where the cows are. I have no time to look, but I said I'll be back in the morning. She said, I've got a room rented for you in Pasco. I had one last night, but it, we canceled it, but it, you still got one. Great. Go in there. Go to Pasco. You know, I'm ready for a nap right now. I'll be honest. Are you ready? Um, see, it's taking too long. At 2 a.m., I'm asleep. But someone else was issued a card that works on room 328. <laughs> now, let me try to get this right. I'm going to try to get this right. Now, for my mind and my mouth to come together, it took time. So, as I recall, I hear, I hear some rumbling. All of a sudden, this lady is, I mean, she went past my duffel bag, she went past my boots, she went past my coats, my notebooks. I don't know what the first clue was, but when she was at the head of my bed, I sat up, and she said, Wes, there's somebody in here. And Wes, I don't know if he exists, but he is embedded in the carpet because she ran over that guy. I know she did. <laughs> and she left the light on for me. <laughs> and I'm just laying there, you know. <laughs> I just you don't go to sleep after that you really don't you really don't you really don't I'm sorry you just don't <laughs> so <laughs> I don't even know what to say right I, I, this is crazy it's traveling with Larry it'll sell won't it it'll be unbelievable you know and I should have I should have actually said to Mrs. West I don't know her other name there's a bed I'm not using. I'll just sleep on the hallway. <laughs> I don't know. I just, so, you know, go through the day. And actually, it was a good day. I mean, I got through the cattle and, and couldn't get my flight out. And I think they're still delayed in Spokane because that flight, I got home with the rental car, drove all the way home, and they still hadn't left. <laughs> took the right route, right? No, I didn't, actually. It took me to 2 o'clock in the morning to get to Missoula. Larissa had rented me another room, and it's a cousin of the Tom Bodette, leave the light on for you, that guy. I'm not saying what I was at, but I got it. It's like 2 in the morning. Whew, made it, right? So there's an older lady, and she says, sir, do you, you know, could you have an identification? Yep, hand her the credit card. Uh, hand her the, the, the driver's license. She said, I'll need a credit card. I said, well, isn't it prepaid? Well, yes, but we have to have it. Whatever, it works. You know, this credit card works. Keeping it, this credit card works. I give it to her. She said, well, sir, do you know the first numbers of your of your of your card? I said, I have no idea. I know they're wore off, but just plug it in. Use it. I can't do that. I have to manually put the numbers into the computer. <laughs> Whew. Whew. And eventually common sense prevailed because I got a room, keys, right? This is 320, which I was so ever grateful. I will never take room 328 again, ever. <laughs> so here's 320. She explains to me, have you ever been to the motel and you don't really know where you're supposed to go? Even though you ask where you're going, they give you this map and they don't tell you. You know, right? I mean, I've never been here before. So I drive around the building, get to the back, and there's plenty of room. I think, I don't know where I'm at, but I'm just going to go upstairs. It's the third floor. Go up to the third floor. 
The stairs are there. Go up. This is good exercise. This is good. Get to the top. There's 320 right there. And say, that is as good as it could get. You talk about it. Thank you, God. My room keys won't work in my room. I'll tell you, well, I'll just take the elevator down. The elevator is at the far end of the hall. Now, as I'm going down and I came up the second time, I think, I know why Super 8 doesn't have, oh, I said their name out loud, does not have an exercise room. They don't need one. They just have their customers give them bad keys, and you walk back and forth a couple of times, and you have all the exercise you need. Got into the room, and it was, you couldn't quite see your breath. It was close. Turned the fan on, and now I know why I could see my breath. It wouldn't hurt. I mean, it was, a, it was like this huge roar, right? But there was heat, so I'm happy. Next morning, when I take a shower, which is not that far off, the range of temperature was from really cold to ice cold. <laughs> but keeping in mind, 320 is the furthest room from the hot water heater. It took some time. Just be patient, Larry. And I'm actually laughing in the shower now. I'm just, this is craziness. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's something here, isn't there? But I made it home. And this is the cool part. The man I'd promised to be at a sale because he personally asked, Larry, I'd like you to be at our sale. Do you know where I was at 10.30 on December 2nd? I was five minutes away from his place, driving this rental car back. And I stopped in. And Paul says to me, that's his name, he says, Larry, it's so good to see you. Now, my plans, my timetable was very, very different. <laughs> But God knew the places I needed to hit. Did I need to meet my nephew's girlfriend for the first time? I don't know. There was people along that way, that course. Uh, that, see, I can't go into it. This is taking way too long, but the point of the matter is, sometimes we get so immersed in our own schedules, we lose sight. God, I want to do it your way. I want to do it in your time. Because that was it. I was in that Spokane airport, and I, I, what am I going to do? I mean, I have to physically, I said, what you're asking me is literally I have to hand you a piece of plastic that has the exact name on it as my driver's license, or I can't get out of here. Well, we can't talk about not getting out of here, but, but I checked, I couldn't even fly out of there for two days. Right? I'm like feeling trapped. That was when it finally, okay, I'm here. God, I'm here. What, what do you want me to do? You want me to clean floors, or you want me to visit with people, or what should we do? And see, all of that pressure came off. And if Peter hadn't said what he said to start this whole thing off, guess what? He would have been comfortable in being right where he was at. Isn't it true? Even though I wasn't really self-promoting, I was very enjoying how I was going to wind this out. Anything wrong with it? Well, apparently, yes. <laughs> that, something, but but at, the, at the end, the more that I yielded, the more comfortable I became. Uh, the, the, the 2 o'clock in the morning at room 328 in Pasco, Washington, that was not comfortable. <laughs> but I can't imagine those folks. Manager, you are going to open this door. <laughs> right? Amazing. <laughs> well, what I was, was going to do the next morning was go down to the breakfast and say, is there anybody here named Wes? <laughs> But then I thought better. No, he's in the emergency room at best or embedded in the carpet, probably. <laughs> but where does this leave? We have, and actually, you know what happens when we do those? We boast too much, pray too little, act too fast. Um, 
There it is. <laughs> I got stuff scattered. This, and this is very true for us, too. We fall too far. But just a minute. Too far for what? See, that's where Satan enters. Now, Satan really has his game. Now, he was right here. He loves pride because that makes you feel important. That You can brag, you can boast, you can do whatever you want to do. And then, of course, don't pray if you're feeling pretty big about yourself. That's a, that's a one-two comp. That is a crossover fist. I mean, it's amazing how Satan will use those. And then, of course, well, go ahead and act. You're fast. You can get it done. And then you fall, and he's the first one to say, you are such a loser. God hates you. He couldn't possibly love one that bad. Now, Peter went out and wept bitterly. I can't imagine what that look would have been. I've said that numbers of times in my lifetime. I mean, it just, oh, it just must have just been unbelievable. But I want to take us to what Jesus prayed for because he does the same for you. Because in, in Revelation 12.10, it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accused Pete, Paul. I'm Peter, not Paul too. He's accusing you. When you sin, he is accusing you before Jesus Christ. Let's go back to, to Luke chapter 22 for a moment. Luke chapter 22. And I've got to find my glasses. I've got lost here. Luke 22, and I believe it's verse 32. 22, 32. Let's watch this. <clears throat> Whoops, I'll be there in a minute. Let's start in verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon. In other words, pay attention. He says your name twice. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that, and I have this underlined. I suggest you do this. Well, no, I'm not going to tell you right in your Bible. Write it down somewhere. That your, thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted or turned around, the strengthen thy brethren. His faith did not fail. Mark that. Because of his faith in Jesus Christ, because of his love for Jesus Christ, his faith did not fail. In fact, in James chapter 1, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials or temptations, for the, the trying of your Faith worketh patience or maturity. Isn't that exactly true? That's exactly true. And then you look at how Peter, now I, I don't have time today, but in John chapter 21, which we went through several weeks ago, literally that was Jesus bringing uh, Peter right back to himself. Remember he made that meal? You know, you know how Jesus made breakfast? He just, breakfast? He just speaks it, right? He's got fish, it's cooked, and whew, that was good. And they're eating. And Peter, do you love me? I do. And you know it's three times for three times. You know it is. And the last time when he had sworn on a, buck, on, a, on a stack of Bibles, whether he said that or not, you get the idea. And Jesus at the third time said, Peter, do you really love me? And that's when Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. This is in, this is in your world. You, you know more than myself. And then you know what happened as a result of that. He said, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. If you've fallen here today, if you've taken a trip, if you've denied, if you've boasted too much, prayed too little, acted too fast and fell too far, you know what? I'm here to tell you. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've trusted your future with him. There is no reason for you not to just get right back up and just get right back after it. Because there's not been anybody that's failed probably much worse than Peter on that night, standing in enemy territory, bragging a lot, praying too little, acting too fast, being totally out of character, being in a place he shouldn't have been. And Jesus Christ restored him to being the one that, that literally gave the sermon to the Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. But I also want to lead you. This is where we're just going to stop. So let's go to Peter's epistles. This is what he learned. This is where he was at. Let's take a look. 
Now, he'll, he'll tell us what he really fell from, but let's go to, uh, I've got to turn my notes here a second. First, let's go to 2 Peter first. That sounded weird, didn't it? Turn to 2 Peter. Let's just say it that way. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. His second epistle. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Like precious faith with us. I'm writing to you that have obtained that. Then turn all the way back to chapter 3. Same, same book. And look at this. Verse 17. 2 Peter 3. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. That's exactly what he fell from. He didn't fall from faith. He fell from steadfastness. When you're on the journey, when you're following Jesus Christ, when he's literally given you that faith and you are doing what he wants you to do, when you are boasting too much, praying too little, acting too fast, you fall from your steadfastness. You do not lose your salvation when you fail. That is not from God when you hear that. Because you go back to Romans chapter 8 and it says, all of those that were justified, that is to be declared uh, not guilty. Every one of those, every one of those, it says, they are glorified. There's no losing there. The point is, make sure you're justified. Make sure that you've declared Jesus Christ to be yours, that you've trusted, you've repented of your sins. That was the difference in Judas and Peter. Judas was remorseful. He felt bad that he got caught. Peter's sorrow moved him to repentance. That's the word he actually used, to turn around. But let's look at one more thing. Let's go to... uh, now, for 1 Peter, chapter 1. Turn with me to 1 Peter, chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 6 through 9. Written by the one that had denied his Savior three times within two hours, while Jesus is literally triumphantly leading towards losing his life for the one that was sinning in the other room. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness, through manifold or various temptations or trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, it perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, watch, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Did you see that? The beginning of your faith makes sure that you're at the end of your faith. And what's in between is how much you pay attention. Are you boasting too much, praying too little, acting too fast? Well, there's a lot here for us, isn't there? For me, literally for me. But Peter, Peter, the one that was denying Christ, for him to write in his epistle under the power of the Holy Spirit to literally say, the finishing, the ending of your faith doesn't go away is your salvation of your soul. Are those not triumphant verses? Particularly concerning of, at that moment in time, I'm telling you, I think Peter would have, how low could you get, right? After that, after John 21, and Peter is pretty active through the book of Acts, the first one, boasting too much, I can't find it about him anymore. 
I can't find it. He learned his lesson. Look at his last words that he wrote. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? I'm here to say that that trying of your faith makes you better and makes you look a little bit more like Jesus Christ. That we should yearn for. Because that's what God wants to happen to us is every minute of every day for the rest of your life that you look just a little bit more like Jesus. Jesus is humbly bowing, humbly giving his life for the sins that, that, that literally Peter is committing in the next room. And he did it for us as well. It's fantastic. That's my Savior. That's Jesus of the Bible. We have nothing but thanks for this one that is majestic, supreme, omnipotent. Thankfully, omnipresent as well. Just think of that for a moment. Just looking at the power difference between Satan and God. God being omnipresent, he's everywhere. Satan can only be one place at one time. And he's fast. He can move around. Tell you what, we serve a risen Savior. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the word again. We, 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 we began there and we want to be sure we end there. That literally, Father, the word of God is our source of truth. Thank you for what was put together even that last night. Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me. Those words are truth. Those words we use today to give hope and encouragement. You said that you would go away and prepare a place, and you would come again. Those are words from our Savior, spoken the night before he gave his life. Father, we can identify with Peter. We're so much like him in so many ways. We get out in front of ourselves. We promote self without even promoting self. Internally, we think we're okay. We can get it done. And Father, it's really, really very noticeable, very clear, it's very concise that without you and your power and your strength, we literally are nothing. Father, we're here because of the gift that was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going forward this next seconds, the next moments, the next hours, days of our lives that we can go with that for the same, very same reason, the strength that you give us through the power of the Spirit and the gift of grace. Father, we thank you for all you're doing, even the things we don't know that you're doing for us. We will even know the things that we've been saved from, but we trust you. Just as the end of our faith will be the salvation of our souls, just as Peter stated, just as it was for him, it is for us, that life, that precious faith that we've obtained, not because of who we are, but, Father, the grace by faith was of your hand. Thank you. In Jesus' name.